Hello and welcome to the first series of Help, I'm in my 20s, a career development podcast where we hear stories of young professionals in many different careers. I'm Georgie, your host and creator of this podcast. My aim is that you will hear insights into various career paths that people are taking, hear the detail of how they got to where they are now and listen to key learnings from their experiences. I can't wait for you to hear my guest today. We are welcoming Katie Din, previously an insights analyst, now a business intelligence developer, an old colleague of mine and now a friend. We met working in the airline industry and in the time that I've remained at that same company, Katie has moved to a few different ones, progressing, learning new skills and developing all the time and has also moved across the country. I love hearing what Katie has to say and the way she makes decisions and makes changes. And I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's get started. It's techie, but then I think a lot of the people who end up in tech and who are in, you know, my teams, I mean, first of all, I can't believe I've not mentioned this. It's mostly men. Mm, um there's a huge gender imbalance and it's interesting speaking to managers and you know recruiters they say it's because the women don't apply because they don't know that it a lot of people don't know it's a role I think maybe more so nowadays but they don't know it's something they can do and also there's and I think some places maybe you do have to have experience or have done a stem subject but that's kind of the root cause of the problem that there aren't that many Mm. women that do STEM subjects obviously it's changing a little bit now but I think that compiled with you know obviously now that everything is virtual and mm. um, all the teams on on teams um that mm-hmm. they're, the things they're talking about are like all these online games and all the spec of their computers and these things that they're building yeah. and I've often sat there and thought I don't have a clue what you're talking about I honestly mm. don't understand but everybody else is interested in it and you you feel like you're the one person that isn't so then you you know as you say it is more doubt like do I belong but actually there's probably somebody else that's not saying anything either that feels exactly the same but doesn't want to speak up Mm. and even if it's not like just because you don't have the same interests outside of work as your team doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing that job or you're any less qualified or any less good it just means Mm. that's one part of your personality like what you do in your job and everything else is just kind of not your job exactly yeah I think that's a really great note to end on um and as you say I mean hopefully this will maybe interest a few more women into getting into um analysis and getting more into the data so hopefully that will help but welcome Katie to help I'm in my 20s thanks so much for taking part how are you no problem good I'm good thank you how are you doing all good happy Monday so you've just started a new job um, in a new company in fashion retail and how's that going? It's amazing. I'm scared that I'm going to jinx it by saying how good it is. I'm <laughs> what, six working days in mm-hmm. um, but honestly it's been well first of all it's been the best onboarding experience I've ever had wow. and considering that's been done while it's virtually is amazing. I was set up with all of the programs and tools that I needed within the first couple of days Mm -hmm. I had access to everything so it meant even by like day 
probably at the end of day two, I could actually start doing some work and feeling helpful rather than, you know, that first week where you feel like you're more of a hindrance than a help. Mm. So that's been really good. And the culture is amazing too. So definitely a good, good decision to move. That's good. That's something I really can't wait to talk about because we met in working in the airline industry, I think maybe four years ago, maybe five years ago, something like that. Definitely a while ago. And since then, I've stayed at the same company and you've gone to a couple of different companies. So are you able to give a bit of a summary of your journey from maybe even starting at university? I think you did a year of a business placement, maybe, and then uh, on from there. Yeah. So, well, I guess I'll start with getting into uni. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good place to start. So at college, um, for my A-levels, I'd taken maths, further maths and biology. I had to drop chemistry because I wasn't very good at it. Um, <laughs> and I decided I wanted to be an optician, okay. which is wildly different to what I actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a Saturday job working in the local opticians. And then one day when I was in there, I was like learning how to fit glasses. So when patients come in to collect them, you have to like put them on, check that they fit behind their ears. And I have a really bad phobia of ears. So (laughs) (laughs) I I can't do it. I can't be an optician. I can't touch people's ears. And also I didn't want to be that close to people's faces. Um, Fair enough. Especially nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it turns out I wasn't very good at biology either. So I was kind of left with math and further maths so I had to change my uni applications to be math because there wasn't really anything else I could do um and it's interesting I didn't actually get the grades to get into my uni so I checked like my UCAS application in the morning I'd got accepted to university so I was like amazing can't wait to see my results and then I didn't get what I was predicted and I was like I can't believe they've let me in like something was exactly the same as what happened to me as well I didn't quite get the grades and luckily they still took me, which is great. (laughs) I mean, when you're that age as well, you kind of think it's the be all and end all that if you don't get them, then that's it. Your life is over. But I mean, even if you get into like your backup uni or have to go through clearing, it's still Mm. a uni. Like a degree is a degree, right? Exactly. Definitely. And I mean, getting in is the the first bit anyway. You've still got a few years left to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think I found, I think because I'd done further maths, that was a really good bridging step between A-level and university. So first year I didn't find too difficult. Um, It was second year and final year that were crazy, crazy busy. Most of uni was spent in the library till like 3 a.m. Okay. Yeah. That's quite late. Really late. But then I am a night owl, so. You are, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah my uni which was Aston Uni they're really really into encouraging students to do their placement year Mm -hmm. so for the year in industry I had no idea what to do Um, so I applied for anywhere that would take me and I ended up working um, in accounting and finance which I'd never done before but I kind of figured maths numbers accounting finance fine Mm -hmm. Um, anyway it wasn't for me I think because it's so rigid, you know, it's very much like you need these numbers and they go here on a profit and loss statement. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of it, right? I mean, there's there's a lot more to it. it. Yeah, Yeah, it's exactly that. And I don't do super well with that. I'm I'm much better at like investigating, a bit more trial and error, kind of digging into things. And 
I just didn't really find that that was the experience I had. Like I had a great time and I think I learned so much, even things like sending emails and using Excel and mm. presenting because doing a master's degree, you don't ever have to present apart from in final year after your dissertation. But other than that, I kind of got thrown in and we went on all these courses, which were amazing. And it was like, you know, go and present to this senior person. And obviously I was terrified. Um, but then it, it stood me in really good stead kind of afterwards. So I think from that year, I took so much um, of like the, the ways of working kind of stuff. Yeah. So then I managed to graduate from uni. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't and didn't I, you do pretty well, I think? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Was I, it, what did you get? <laughs> Um, I got a first. Yeah, very um, well from university. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. And it, do you know what, actually, this is one of the things, um, I'm sure we'll touch on it at some point, but one of my big weaknesses is I'm super hard on myself, but more so I kind of make excuses. Normally when I'm like, you know, yes, I got a first. I'm like, oh, but it's only because final year was 75% of my grade. And in the first term, I worked so, so hard because I thought there was a module I was going to fail that then I actually got a first overall for the first time ever. And mm. I thought maybe it's possible, but I'm always like, oh, it's only because of this. I'm never like, yeah, it's because I worked really hard, which, you know, I did. Yeah, I, I definitely in our conversations over the years, I have to sometimes be like, hang on a second. <laughs> did it, wait a minute, you've got a first from university. <laughs> yeah, and I even got an award for having oh, the highest exactly. dissertation. Ex- highest mark in your dissertation yeah I got through university <laughs> <laughs> we were a small class there was only like 40 stop of us making excuses again <laughs> <That's> um, brilliant <laughs> yeah it's pretty good but yeah and the craziest time was so our exams were split kind of down the middle January and June July whenever they are in the mm. summer maybe even May mm. um, but around the January ones was obviously when you're starting to get through kind of you do your applications for your grad scheme like November December if you go for like the first ones that are released so I remember I'd got um I'd done an assessment center at the start of December and then I'd had through an email to go for an interview and I could pick like the slot and it was either bang in the middle of all my exams or the day before so I was like right I have to do it the day before and get it over so it was just a crazy crazy busy time um but then I did get the job for that grad scheme, which was where I met you. Uh-huh. Um, so that was an analytics grad scheme. Just taking um, a step back, how was the graduate recruitment process? Because I know some companies are, I mean, I did a graduate scheme, but in a much smaller company. So I know some graduate schemes are extremely intense. How did you find yours? I think intense is a, is a good word to describe it. There was your online application, And then I think after the initial application, I think for the one that I got, I don't think there was a phone interview. I think you were then just invited straight to an assessment centre. And I think you split into three groups. So you all kind of do each part at a different time. And we'd done the tests first, which was amazing for me because I was like, you know, with a test, you can kind of, well, I thought I could kind of tell how it was going. Like the maths ones, I find like relatively okay. Um, and then the logic one they're a complete guessing game right mm. but I you know I must have done all right in that and I think then I had the group exercise which I found I actually find those things quite fun and I, I mean I love <laughs> interviews as well I sound like such a dork when I say that but um 
the group exercise was good like it gets you chatting to people and then it was lunch straight after so you're still in that mode of like talking to everybody else oh great kind that's of really good starting to yeah. work a bit yeah yeah exactly and they say that they're not but I'm like all the assessors stay and have their lunch with you and I yeah. think you know it could probably come down to if you and somebody else both did equally as well but you were super sociable and they didn't speak to anyone that might mm. play into it and they say well we don't know how they fit in the team so yeah and then the interview stage I remember them asking um if you were asked to estimate how many words are posted on Facebook in the UK every day how would you do it gosh okay and I I was like okay well first of all I take the population of the UK and they were like yeah I was like which is <laughs> and then they they told me I think like 60 million is that right yeah I think a bit more but yeah. around there yeah I think at the time I was just like I, I don't know so they told me the number I was like thanks guys um and then I was sort of like you know over 18 year olds or over 16 I think you have to be but probably under like 80 or whatever so mm. probably like 40 percent and then I was like and then I'd look on my Facebook and see how many people posted every day how many words average blah 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 um and when I spoke to them afterwards like obviously once I got the job they were like mm. yeah we really don't care about the numbers and you're doing the maths in your mm. head it's just kind of can you do that quick estimate if you're in a meeting and somebody asked you something or you know there was a number presented would mm. you be able to kind of say hang on a minute that seems wildly out or that seems you know pretty good yeah. so it's interesting the things they look for yeah I was asked a similar question in my interview for the same company um but not part of the grad scheme and they said I think it was um how many tires are there in the UK and so it's basically all about understanding how you would approach the problem rather than actually what your answer is yeah, so then after that, I went home and was like, you know, it was fine. I'm pretty tired, but I definitely won't have got it. Mm. And then two weeks later, I was in the middle of telling my friend and her mom at her house about like, oh, yeah, it was good, but I don't think I got it. And then I was like, oh, they've just emailed me. I'm like, oh, they want me to go for another interview. I was like, well, that's crazy. <laughs> Through to um, the next round. <laughs> I think there was maybe like six of you there. So I recognized a couple of people from my assessment center day, mm-hmm. which was nice. You know, just that sort of familiarity and like we're all in this together kind of thing. But also I want to beat you. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Friendly rivalry. <laughs> um, and then they gave us a tour of the office and like we had to sit down with some of the managers. So it was mm-hmm. actually it was like pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and then I think I heard back it was the start of February actually so yeah like talking through it it doesn't seem like that long but to go from November to February when you're also applying for other places Mm. um, it seems pretty long but then you know I was offered it I had the contract for a couple like maybe a month later Mm. and then it just meant I could you know relax and that was completely put to one side for the rest of uni it was like I know where I'm going next I just need to get the grades yeah exactly that's great and then you started yes then I started so but I started and kind of expected you know I'll be given an excel file with loads of data in I'll analyze it interpret it and they were like so you're gonna write some code which will get the data (laughs) and I was like I'm I'm sorry I'm doing what now um there's a lot of on-the-job training um I would say I hated the first two months right um so it's learning to code yes we were learning two different languages right um some of the stuff was the same in them and some of it was very different Mm. but also so one of them was sql which is super common and one was sas which is way less common now Mm. um but in sql particularly there's like four or five different ways you can do anything 
so it would be like you'd ask one person and they would tell you so you think okay I've got that but then you'd look at somebody else's script and they've done it completely different okay so in my head I panicked and was like I must have done it wrong oh my gosh it's my fault I'm awful Mm. um and a few people scenario again (laughs) (laughs) yeah and a few people on those schemes had done similar things on their placement year so they knew Mm. what they were doing right um and I'm very much like I learn on the go and I need a lot of examples. Like mm-hmm. I always say this and I'm always brutally honest in interviews. Like I'm keen to learn, but I'm a little bit of a slow learner. Like I don't think I'm super slow, but it, it takes me a little bit before it clicks. Mm. So I was just so behind everybody else. that I was like, oh my gosh, I've got through. It's a fluke. Maybe I'm just really good at interviews. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And the more you yeah. tell yourself that, the really more you believe, believe it and the worse mm-hmm. it is. And I remember one night, it was like late October, I'd had an awful day. Um, I'd had to stay really late because I kept doing it wrong. I just couldn't get it right. I'd eventually got home. I walked through the door and my housemate was there like with a glass of wine for me. I brought my laptop back. I was like talking her through it. I was like, and I just need to finish this bit. And then I like threw everything down on my bed, sat down on my bed with my laptop and the bed collapsed. And like I went straight through it and I was sat on the floor. And my housemate looked at me and she burst out laughing. And then obviously I did. And she was like, I just knew that I had to laugh or you would sit and cry. And I didn't think it could do worse. Um, but, you know, I I did have a really, really good manager. Um, he was very supportive. And actually, he was one of those um, that he had moved up through the ranks. Like, he'd started mm. as an analyst. So he understood everything I was doing. So yeah. when... I finally admitted to him that I was really struggling and I felt like I couldn't do it. He would sit down with me all the time and go through my code and be like, you've just missed a comma here or you've misspelt this. Mm. And he really helped me be like, just you know, tiny little things. Yeah. And also mm-hmm. you're never going to get it right the first time. Nobody does, but you mm. only see everybody when they do it right. So you think yeah. that they're amazing straight away. And I mean, some people are like, I've met, yeah some people that are incredibly smart I can't even understand how um (laughs) but you know it was really good so I did two rotations there the first one was um CRM analysis Mm -hmm. so what's that customer relationship marketing management isn't it management it's one of them you're on CRM and you're like wait what does that actually stand for (laughs) so kind of marketing (laughs) yeah I guess so slightly I mostly worked with marketing so it it kind of counts (laughs) Um, and it was very much like looking at campaigns and understanding, you know, this kind of campaign works really well with these kinds of customers, mm. but you know, these customers have a really low response rate. So let's not target them. Let's focus on the ones that works better on mm-hmm. and actually let's personalize it. Let's test, like if we send it, you know, for a location they've been before, or that's really mm. similar to one they've been to before, how do they respond and how do we make it a more personalized experience for that customer? Mm. So that was super, super interesting, learning a lot more about kind of what businesses do and what they can do with analytics, Mm. Um, but also learning kind of the techniques to do a campaign analysis, um, which has definitely helped me in my my, um, many, many other jobs. (laughs) I think it's also good you can, well, not like, not just that as an insights analyst, you are providing those recommendations as well to make it better and you work really collaboratively with stakeholders so that you know that the analysis you're doing it's not just hopefully going into like a black hole it's actually being used <laughs> yeah. and for the better and 
the best thing about analysis is that you suggest something and then you track it later to see what's happened so you actually know maybe what the impact of your recommendations has been which is I think quite a nice yeah. part of it it's exactly that and I think part of analytics and I would say you know through interviewing and applying for roles more recently I've seen a shift yeah. towards this a lot more that they're looking for people that act as that link between the business and explain not just here's a report here's a bit of data it's okay I'll book in some time with you I'll send it to you but we'll talk through it and I'll explain kind of a bit more what this means and why I've included this extra thing yeah. and what as you say it's that recommendation that it's kind of that that rule that's like tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and then tell them what you've told them and it is yeah. that thing that sometimes you know I look at it and it's like oh this works really well with customers who travel for leisure and it, it's kind of in my head I'm like okay well then you know they can work out off the back of that like let's target more leisure customers and mm. let's not bother with the ones but actually sometimes some stakeholders are just like okay and they're not because they're not necessarily looking for that recommendation because Mm. it you know it's their job they've always done what they think they should do it's kind of that advising someone without being patronizing Mm. or being like you do this you know it's kind of making suggestions so it's a big it's a very technical role but it really helps if you're a people person yeah I think that's one Um, of the reasons you've done so well is that you do collaborate with so many people you communicate with so many people which you know not everyone does naturally sometimes they need a bit of learning in that area yeah it's I've always been I mean it's hard to get me to shut up but (laughs) I've always been quite chatty and I, I think there are you know if you want to group analysts into two buckets you often have super super technical a bit shy don't necessarily know how to communicate to the business in the sense that mm. they maybe go into a bit too much detail or be like oh so I selected this group of customers using this and I did this when actually most stakeholders don't really care they might ask a question at the end you know mm. if you had a control group that you want to test about how can you make sure it, it's you know a control group that you can mm. actually use you say well we checked it against the demographic and their gender and their age and everything about mm. them is as similar as we can get so the only thing that's different is you know, this group of customers received a campaign, your control customers didn't, so mm. we attribute it to that. Yeah. Um, and it's knowing kind of, you have some stakeholders who absolutely want to know all the granular stuff. Yeah. And they're amazing, but also sometimes the worst because they ask so many questions. You're like, <laughs> Wait, did I do this wrong? Like, should I have done that instead? And also just trying to remind them actually of the recommendation rather than yeah. the methodology out exactly. of all of it as well. Take exactly. Mm. um but yeah that was really really good it was a steep learning curve and mm-hmm. um, it was I think it was a nine month placement which I think was a good amount of time because in the first three months you're kind of settled into the company your routine you know mm. what you're meant to be doing and then three the next three months I would say is where you really get stuck into the nitty-gritty of it and after those three months you're probably like I know what I'm doing technically so then you have the last three months to be like I'm so amazing look at all this code I'm writing <laughs> stuff I'm doing showcasing your new skills yeah um and then I rotated into product analytics Mm -hmm. which was completely different Mm -hmm. but it was really good in terms of learning because it's you're applying the exact same skills and you can see how easily transferable they are Mm. it actually okay you're still writing code you're maybe looking at different tables and applying different conditions but it's the same kind of structure so Mm. 
kind of feel like you've got a bit of a head start and your confidence builds there. Um, so I guess that was kind of like retail kind of experience. Yeah. Um, I worked on quite a high profile project. So in this role, I was exposed to a lot of senior stakeholders, mm-hmm. um, which at the start, obviously, I was super nervous. But then I think having that experience so early on in my career, um, I mean, in my last role, within, I don't know, the first month, um, I was asked to go and present to the exact board, like including mm-hmm. the CEO. And I was just like, yeah, no worries, guys, I've got this. Um, <laughs> Practice, isn't it? exactly it's exactly that and I think you know people who are senior they are people like they're very very good at what they do but I think you know and I can't really speak on their behalf because I'm not one but I think they probably prefer people that just speak to them like they're a normal person rather Mm. than you know trying to be super positive and you know just say what they want to hear like if you're working for somebody and actually things aren't going well in the business they're probably going to respect you more if you tell them like I'm sorry Mm. it's not a positive story but actually this is going wrong but I've looked into why and this is what I think we should do Mm. I I remember that senior stakeholder as well from when you're working on that high profile project and they in particular were very direct and straight talking as a person as well so I think they really appreciated that style which you know you dial up you dial down for others but that fear of seniority is a really great thing to go over. And it's something that I get really nervous before I present to um, senior stakeholders, but it's also one of the things that I find most rewarding in my work and actually really motivates me. So um, I recently got a mentor and they've been trying to help me to increase my gravitas. So I've listened to the audiobook gravitas that she recommended. And that was all about almost <laughs> kind of faking it till you make it a little bit and just kind of making sure that your personality comes through and so being really natural being yourself remembering that they're people is such an important thing to remember uh sometimes quite hard in the moment when especially if you have a difficult message to um yeah. tell them but it's also what will make you more memorable to them which is a good, absolutely a good thing yeah as long as you do a good job yeah <laughs> but I, with that stakeholder i remember i had misquoted a number mm. I'd essentially thought that I'd left a filter on a number and I hadn't and I'd reported it and it meant for the first time we'd hit the target although this number that I'd reported was wrong right and as soon as I realized I sent out an email to everybody you know everybody that had been in that meeting that Mm. I'd told and I think I don't know why I thought to do this because I'd not really I mean I I, you know I make mistakes all the time but not one that was kind of of that gravity Mm. um I sent an email explaining that number was wrong. This is the correct number. This yeah. is how it happened. And these are the steps I've taken to make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm, and extra I thought, step at the end. Yeah. And it's mm. like, if somebody wants to shout at me for it, that's fine. You know, I get it. It's annoying. And if you've misquoted it somewhere else, you now have to go and tell them. But I've given you the explanation. You can just forward mm. it. No one will think it's your fault. But also, because I've told you how I'm going to stop it happening again, it's kind of like, you can't be too mad at me because I've yeah. put something in place. <laughs> you know, I've learned from it that, you know, this person is going to double check it for me, I'm going to send it through, or I'm going to check it against, I've pulled it from the database, but I know somebody else has run an automated script that pulls it. So I'm just going to check it against that, like, you know, and that stakeholder was great about it. Mm. You know, they called me up and they're like, it's kind of annoying, but thanks. And also, I appreciate your honesty. I think Mm. I've been 
I'm bad at taking credit, but I'm very, very good at, at admitting that I've messed up and being like, it's completely my fault. I'm so sorry. Um, but sometimes that's a good thing. So, yeah. Exactly. yeah, so I was there for that rotation should have been nine months. I think I left after maybe seven months. Mm. Um, so what were some of the, before you kind of move on to where you went next, what were some of the driving factors that um, led to you changing? Or maybe we can come to that at the end of it, because I find it so interesting that I think a lot of people, if maybe they're not enjoying it, especially what they're doing and, or maybe they just don't feel like it's right at that time, they might sit on it for a few months and maybe say, okay, you know, it's just like a, it might get better, but I've noticed like with you, if it is bad, then you're like, okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a change, um, which is so yeah. proactive and also has been to your benefit over the years as well. So it's, I think it's quite interesting because not everyone will do that. Yeah, it, it really is. I definitely, I have friends that I speak to who I ask how work's going and they're very like, oh, it's okay. You know, same old, I'm kind of thinking about leaving. And I say, you know, have you looked anywhere? And they say, no, not yet. And I think we've been having the same conversation for six months and I, mm. that's just not the way I work. Like yeah. small decisions, what to make for tea. I can deliberate for hours, but <laughs> huge life-changing decisions, like give me an hour and I'll know. Um, yeah. But I think, and what I've done in every role that I've left, um, but particularly this one mm. was, I was a grad and I was, I was still learning. I was working on something huge. The demand was crazy. And I'm very vocal, especially when it comes to things that are not wrong, but things that aren't working. Mm -hmm. And I essentially went to my management and I said, somebody else needs to help support me on this. Um, Because I'm still learning and some of these tools I'm using are brand new to me. It Mm. might take me four hours, but it would take somebody else an hour. Mm. Can somebody else want it even, you know, part of their time? And it just wasn't possible because everybody was so super busy. Mm. Um, So I was like, right, okay, this isn't really working, but I'm going to stick it out. But what I quickly realized was I was using the same three tables of data every single day. Mm. So after I'd started to learn how to use those tools, I was then doing the same thing pretty much in and out every day, changing condition here and there. But I wasn't learning anything new. And Mm. that was the case for a couple of months. And I thought, you know, if I'm super stressed all the time, I'm feeling overworked. Okay, I I was very appreciated. Like I cannot fault anyone that I worked Mm. for. Everybody was grateful and I got all the credit, which was, you know, Mm. that's nice for anybody. (laughs) Um, But I just didn't feel like I was progressing anymore. I think I was progressing the interpersonal stuff, the managing the relationships and stakeholders and expectations, but technically... I wasn't getting any better and that was where Mm. I felt like I fell down um so I'd gone through a recruiter I was kind of thinking I'm not super far into it you know I don't have that much experience I don't think anything but I might as well have a look Mm. and then I did get something um and when I told my line manager um we were both super sad but she said I don't blame you like I knew you were unhappy you know, and I, and I think that's why it was so easy for me to leave because I'd said, here are the problems. Here's what we can do to fix them. But, you know, it was beyond my management's control. They couldn't mm. do anything about it. So it wasn't like out of the blue, I was just like, I'm leaving. It was, well, nothing's changed. So 
yeah. you know, I can go. Um, and th- this is going to make me sound like such a show off. But when I was leaving, um, my manager offered me like a role off the grad scheme and with a pay rise. Mm-hmm. But I also had two other teams, their managers mm-hmm. approached me and asked me if I wanted to go to their teams. That's so good. Um, which actually looking back, yeah, at the time I was just like, oh, whatever, they just want more manpower. Like they wouldn't care who it is. It's just easier <laughs> than recruiting. But actually I think they wouldn't have asked me to be in the team if they didn't think I could do the job. So yeah, exactly. that was at least nice. And I remember my manager at the time, we had a one-to-one just before I left. And well, it was my, not my line manager kind of above mm. her. And he was so sweet. He gave me loads of advice, um, recommended some books for me. And mm. I just thought, you know what, I've left, I think at the right time, because I've not burned any bridges. Whereas if I'd have stayed longer, I think my attitude would have been pretty bad. And mm. I may well have ended up burning those bridges. So I think, does that answer it, the quick decision? Yeah, it does. Maybe. Definitely. Maybe. <laughs> it does. So let's move on to your next one. So tell us a little bit about that and then onwards from there. Yes. So that was an interesting one. Um, it was a role working for a loyalty company. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was amazing in that it's super, super rich data because I think, you know, when we worked at the airline, you had known customers and unknown customers and yeah. then your loyalty customers. And with those, you can just see so much more, you you know, you have more data points. You can see what customers do over time. Do they return to brands? Do they, you know, when they switch because of a promotion, do they then stay with that brand or go back to theirs? Or Mm. do they only buy a product when it's on promotion, regardless of the brand? So you can really group your customers really well. And that means you can personalize the journey for them. And, Mm. you know, it's better for the company, but it's also better for the customer. You don't want to be receiving vouchers for something that you would never ever buy you know that's annoying Mm. so that one was it was good and I don't regret going there I think pretty soon I realized I was gonna get pigeonholed again just doing marketing um all the time which I think is fine if you've had more experience I'd only had Mm. what like less than 18 months experience yeah um but then I think maybe three days after I passed probation, I actually handed my notice in. Um, But that one, I always say it wasn't my fault. Um, That (laughs) one was with politics around companies buying companies and changing contracts and that kind of thing. Oh, I remember, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think I probably would have stayed for longer, but equally I don't think I would have stayed super long-term just because of that kind of being a bit pigeonholed. Maybe I would have been amazing as a marketing analyst but I wasn't really sure it was the I hadn't done enough other things to know it was what I mm-hmm. wanted to do so then I moved again um <laughs> to a telecoms company mm-hmm. so did they uh, did you approach apply to them or did they get in touch yeah. with you um <laughs> a guy that I'd gone to school with came up on one of my dating apps oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten I, about I, this <laughs> yeah. I matched with him we'd always been like fairly good friends we'd stayed in touch and I dropped him a message like no way what are you doing down here um mm. I got chatting and he actually worked in HR for this telecoms company and so when all this stuff was going on with the contracts at the place I was still working I was asking mm. him about it and kind of said you know what's your advice and he said we've got a role going here. Um, It's a senior role. This was on a Thursday morning. And Mm -hmm. he said, 
but the closing date is tomorrow as right. in there will be a hiring freeze as of Saturday right. well end of the day, Friday um he was like so let me speak to my friend who is the recruiter for it and we'll see if we can get you an interview with the hiring manager this afternoon and I was like yeah okay fine no worries it means I don't have time to sit and stress so mm -hmm. whatever so we did that and then they asked me if I could go in for an interview the following morning and I would have to answer um like a bit of a case study mm -hmm. um I think normally they you have to do two case studies but they said you know we'll only ask you to do one so I walked there the next morning um and I had the interview and again it you know they kind of said to me are you sure you don't mind coming in so quickly and I said well I'm going to tell you that I worked to tight deadlines and that I work well under pressure so it's kind of a good way to prove that to you I can't <laughs> say that and say no sorry it's not enough time so mm. um I went in and the interviewers were both really 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 nice um really knew what they were talking about mm. and apparently one of them didn't know that I'd only been told the night before so right. then he was surprised when I didn't have a second you know question prepared. Oh, yeah. And then they, you know, they kind of spoke afterwards and he said, why didn't she have another question? And they said, oh, well, you know, she only found out last night that she was going to come in. Mm. And he said, well, if that's what she can do in a day, you know, imagine. <laughs> and they offered me the role. Mm. And I think it, it was one of those because I'd gone from graduate analyst to analyst and then this was senior insights analyst. I was like, mm. there's no way I'm ever going to get it because I've been doing this job, what, less than two years. They're not going to mm. mm, you know, give me that title. Um they did but then the interesting thing that I found out was when people came off the graduate scheme they went straight to senior uh, okay. which sounds great but once you've been senior the equivalent of that role might actually not have the senior in front of it another company but then you might be reluctant to move because it looks you know on your LinkedIn and on your CV yeah. that you've kind of gone down a step so I kind of resented a little bit that I had senior there so early because I was still learning so much mm. Um, but anyway, so I started there mm -hmm. and it was very, very different to anything I'd done before. Um, it was product usage. So again, you, you have that really rich, you can see the customer, you, you might not know who they are. There's nothing mm -hmm. to identify anything about them, but you know that they did this thing on this day and then they did this thing and then hang mm -hmm. on a minute, that behavior changed completely. Um, and it, yeah, it was something completely different. And I really, really loved that role. Mm. Um, we worked in a small team. One of the guys who was the principal analyst had been there years. And I've never met anyone that can interpret data like him. <laughs> he, he would get a chart up and he'd be like, yeah, so it means this and this and also this. And I think you literally glanced at that for 10 seconds. How do you know that? <laughs> um, but then, you know, he would teach me a lot about that. So mm -hmm. I definitely learned a lot there. Again, you know, that was a lot of talking to stakeholders, but the technical stuff was quite difficult sometimes. And you had to really think, you know, we would have some data that would show that somebody used a product between this time and this time. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of how all the data was in there. But then we wanted to understand on a minute by minute basis, how many customers were you know using that product and that was to check that you know the servers and whatever stuff that is way beyond my kind mm. of understanding were capable of holding that and they weren't going to break so yeah. there was kind of the service element as well which was I'd never really delved into that before mm. so 
that was um that was really really good um and I stayed there for about I think I was there for 18 months Mm. which I think is the longest job I've ever had (laughs) um (laughs) so I guess that means it was good until (laughs) until it wasn't um no and it's not that it wasn't but I kind of got in that rut again because I was looking at one particular kind of product I then had become a bit stuck in that and again I was using the same data in and out and I think between us as a team we've done so much of the analysis that people were often asking for similar things so rather than starting something brand new it was oh I'll just tweak something here and there and I think ultimately there there had been a few restructures um, and there was another team brought in who were a delivery team which Mm. on the face of it sounded great like you help us prioritize you help us land the stuff Mm -hmm. um but actually the person who was working kind of on my area they very much put themselves between me and the business rather Mm. than working with all of us so what ended up happening was I wouldn't be invited to those meetings or I wouldn't be there at the original request the delivery manager would kind of agree that it the work would be done mm. and agree to a deadline it would come to me and I say oh but actually you know this data is going back to 2016 and I can't use the aggregated stuff because there was an issue so it's going to take me days to run this mm. but it had already been promised to the stakeholder that they would have it the next day and it, it just yeah. it made things a bit more complicated and I think it was a classic a bunch of teams coming together that had butted heads a a few times Mm. and then I think also what didn't help um was when I started we were under marketing then we got moved into tech then we got moved to finance then we moved back to tech the business didn't really know what to do with us and that you know it's a lot of disruption you don't really feel like kind of you belong or like any department wants you yeah um I sound like really negative about this place it was great Mm. but well, ultimately, these are some of the things that led to you looking elsewhere. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, and interestingly, this company, they were based down south, but also mm-hmm. they had offices up north, which is where I'm originally from. Mm-hmm. So I then transitioned so I could move back up north into spending half my time down south and half my time in the north split across the offices, which actually I loved because I got the mm-hmm. best of both worlds. And I sat with two different teams in two different offices. So I understood more about the data and more about, you know, what the teams were doing. Um, but it's a shame, I think, the politics got too much there. I think in every job, there's going to be something. I mean, nothing is perfect. Mm. But it, it, what stress can you deal with? Yeah. And the political stuff for me, it was a bit too much. Yeah. Um, so I was looking I'd applied for a few roles spoke to a few recruiters but I wasn't in that state where I was desperate to leave and I would have taken anything it was kind of I want if the right thing comes up yes I will want to move Mm -hmm. um and then somebody that I had worked with at this company had moved to a retailer up north Mm -hmm. and had asked me if I would like to apply for a role in his team yeah and I did and I ended up getting (laughs) that role but this role was quite I say different it is and it isn't so this Mm -hmm. was my first business intelligence 
engineer role, which at the moment I'm a business intelligence developer. It's exactly the same thing. Mm. Um, so what's the difference between kind of just as define the difference between insights analysts and like business intelligence side? Well, annoyingly, it depends where you work. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the one that I moved to, um, there it was very much if you're the business intelligence team you build the automated reports okay. and if you're an insights analyst you do the ad hoc questions and as soon as you get something that you're asked every week or every month you hand that over to the business intelligence team because when you're doing your ad hoc stuff you could write a query um and it's not super efficient it's really like resource intensive i've definitely nearly crashed servers in most of my jobs by doing something daft and having a million rows in one table a million in another and accidentally trying to it's essentially we join the tables and it's essentially mm. kind of doing the lockup on every single row against every single row so you get like a million times a million rows yeah that was definitely wrong but sometimes you do things just because it's the quickest way you can think of to get an answer out and it's fine because you do it once and that's that and it was still mm. right but the business intelligence role, um, well, the way I see it, is a lot more, let's build something that won't crash the server. It, you know, it's really quick to run, it's efficient, but it's right. And it can refresh in the morning and it will show all the stakeholders exactly what they need at mm. the start of the day. So at this point, I was kind of thinking, hang on, I've quite a few jobs now. Maybe it's the role that's not right for me rather mm. than it, you know. And, you know, it's all very much, that was my perspective on why things weren't working. It might have been that, what I was hoping would happen and would be the right way to work was completely wrong. And that's why it wasn't done. Um, but I started to think, yeah, maybe it's the role. And if I want to try anything else, I want to do it now before, you know, if I work any further up the ladder and then I want mm. to switch to something else, I'll have to move down that ladder and maybe take a pay cut or, yeah. you know, whatever. Mm. Although, you know, interestingly, I would always say that money isn't my motivator. So, mm analyst role that I took off my after my graduate scheme I took a pretty big pay cut for that mm. um but I was just you know I, I want to be happier in my role and feel like I'm adding more value yeah um so I thought I'd give this a try and the company was great super super friendly but we were a new data team mm. and what had happened was they had used a third party for all their data and analysis and reporting. They were bringing it all in-house. So when I joined, they were still building the data warehouse and getting it all into the company. But I was meant to be building reports off the back of that. And, and you know, you speak to anybody who's a data analyst or not a data person, and you say, I was trying to build something off something that didn't exist. Right. That, that, that's kind of crazy, that's right? your objective for the year. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was a well-known thing in that company that the reporting team were brought in too early. Um, it was a huge, huge project. It was very ambitious and it got delayed a few times. Mm. So, you know, it was kind of, you'll have the data in July. Oh, now it's going to be November. Now it's going to be January. Yeah. Now it's going to be March. And it was just, you know, the goalposts were always being moved. And I think I had built and published six reports in 12 months yeah. which okay some of them have gone to like 20 30 suppliers each and that's you know great mm. but that for me producing the equivalent of one piece of work every two months mm. that's not 
productive I wasn't satisfied and also I kind of thought the business isn't getting their money's worth out of me Mm. but again I, I was just I wasn't feeling like I was progressing there I think I'd just gone too far past it and I was in such a negative headspace Mm. about my job and you know I just thought it's also one of them if I'd have said I was leaving and then I decided to stay whenever I'd had a bad day I would Mm. always think I wish I'd left yeah and I, I think you know you just you've got to go for it yeah so in uh one of the other podcasts we've recorded um Stuart Tarn he says um make sure that you regret the things you've done not the things that you didn't do and I think that's essentially what you've just said but yeah I think if an opportunity arises and you you can't see a huge risk associated with it go for it and you know I again I was lucky at that retailer they they've said to me you know if it all goes wrong and you hate it come back like mm. you know providing there's a role um the door open for you yeah exactly which is super nice um but I think what happened there is what had happened at some of the other companies where I said I'm unhappy can we try and fix these things nothing happens and then as soon as you hand in your notice there's mm. kind of a let's fix it mm. and, and that doesn't sit so well with me that it feels like almost I have to threaten something drastic for it to change yeah I think unfortunately that's pretty common yeah and and I I get it it's like you know she's asked for these things to change but we can't really do anything about it but then it's oh hang on you know we were a small team as well there was my manager and then three of us Mm -hmm. under him you know you've lost a third of your resource yeah you know that's a big deal um Mm -hmm. so actually I was really really torn and actually this was the one that was hardest for me to leave I think and I genuinely had to go away and think for a weekend and for a weekend I kind of had to say to everybody please don't ask me about it because I just can't process it right now mm. it, it's too much I'm too torn yeah and then I went in on the Monday and I just thought no I need I need to go and I think part of it as well was I really enjoyed my interview for the company I'm at now <laughs> um it was you know the things we were talking about we were excited um mm. And they seem to have a lot of stuff going on. They were a bit more embedded in the company. They had a warehouse full of data. And it was just, you know, they'd already overcome a lot of the problems that I was facing. Mm. So I think with my previous role, if I'd have joined now, I would have stayed for a long time. But this business are now kind of at the same point. It's just a timing thing, really. Maybe if I had more patience, I would have stayed longer. But we're on a video chat and I can see you just beaming um <laughs> based on your last week um but it's definitely interesting to hear your decision making and how you've made all of those um changes over your career and then the fact that one of the main triggers for you was I wasn't learning anything or I wasn't learning lots new anymore and so it was time to go and I think that's a great attitude to have to be quite action oriented around it so and I mean looking back do you feel like I think luckily most of my roles I've been on four weeks notice so you know that that's quite good in a sense you know you say you're leaving you have four weeks to get everything together wrap up and hand over that Mm. you don't really think about oh this is a drag or think about leaving sooner Mm. I think maybe my last role 
I should have left sooner. But I, I also think we were in lockdown. I joined that role in lockdown. I live by myself. I'm, I mean, I'm very good at my own company. But I think what I struggled with was I wake up and I log on and I feel like I've added no value and I've not done anything of meaning. Mm. And then there's nothing to do in the evenings because I can't go out and see people and I can't go swimming and mm. I can't go to the pub. I can't, All I could do is go for a walk. And it's that kind of thing. If I'd have been going into the office every day, there would be more of in that downtime, you're hearing what other people are doing. You're talking to your stakeholders face to face. I mean, I could go for weeks on end and the only meetings I have was my daily stand-ups with my team. Mm. And then on the days when I don't call anybody, they're the only words that come out of my mouth, apart from like talking to myself around the flat. And I think, you know, that definitely contributed to me feeling like I was stuck in a rut. I think, you, you know, me as well, even when it, it came, comes to, you know, moving house, I decided that I wanted to sell my flat. I wanted mm. to move because and within a week it was on the market mm-hmm. within another week I'd sold it and had an offer accepted on a flat which fell through <laughs> and then it fell through but yeah. again it's those big decisions it's I'm just quick. like yeah if it feels good ah let's go for it yeah. why not exactly so then looking back over the past few years I got two questions about them so number one what was the best thing and I'm going to take out moving to this current job if just in case that would be your best thing just to just to take that out of the equation and then secondly what has been maybe the most difficult thing the hardest thing that you had to do or maybe that you found the hardest during your time working best thing so for me we we we're sometimes given a question we're sometimes not we're sometimes just asked can you build something that looks into this Um, But essentially, we always start with a data warehouse that has millions of rows of data. And you you kind of look at it and it's immediately not helpful. Mm. Um, You'll have a row, say it's a transaction record. It'll have a transaction key, a customer key, which will be a number, an item key, which might also be a number and a store (laughs) reference or or whatever. Mm. And everything, it doesn't mean anything. Mm. But kind of as you poke around in the data um, and the way that most warehouses are built is you have what are called fact tables and then dimension tables. So your fact tables are like transactions. A dimension would tell you what is in there. So, you know, I alluded to having an item reference. Mm. You would then have a dimension table for items that will have the reference, which will match up. So you could do essentially like a join or kind of a VLOOKUP. So you know that this item is a particular I don't know, shoe or something Yeah, it will tell you, you know, (laughs) the name of it. It could be the size of it, the brand it is, the category, the price, Mm -hmm. when it was first, you know, stocked. Um, Is it still in active rotation? Like, is it for sale? Where do we sell it? All that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So then, you know, as soon as you've joined on your transactions to that information about the item, you can suddenly produce something that cuts the data and allows the user to look at, you know, over time, how is this category performing, this brand, Mm. this item in particular, or items that are this color or this size (laughs) in this location with these customers. And, you know, it kind of grows, but then you load that into some kind of visualization tool. So we use tools like Tableau or Power Mm. BI. I feel like that was a really long answer, but it's basically taking it from one table that you're looking at that seems meaningless to actually 
speaking to the business and saying I recommend that you do this thing and yeah. working with them to be like okay but how should we do it or you know they might turn around and say well actually we've tried that before and it didn't work so yeah. is there anything else but hmm. it's just really kind of owning that whole thing it's not oh I get somebody to do the coding for me and then I do this bit and then somebody else yeah. talks to the business you get, you get to do everything so it's super varied every day yeah that's brilliant that I mean I agree for me variety is so important as well and yeah. you're able to from something that's totally meaningless drive something that has meaning adds value to the business so I can see why that would be rewarding yeah it's exactly that you see a campaign live mm. and you're like guys I helped with that I called the date for that. I did this little bit of it it's just mm. whatever area it is you're working at you can see the difference you're making and I think data often you know and I found this when the data team was moved around a lot at one mm. of the companies no one knew where to put us you feel so removed from the business kind of I think the way people see IT as well mm. very separate so it's having that inclusion and being like, yeah, we collaborated on that. It was yeah. great. Yeah. And then is that yeah. also the hardest thing? So taking that massive table and doing it or is it well, something else? I actually think the most difficult thing is with the data, if you don't know how to do something, there is so much documentation, so many tutorials online and books. Mm. As long as you know what to Google, like how do I join <laughs> this today? Is there a yeah. function that does this? you can find it or you know everywhere we have data engineers so the ones that actually pull the data in mm. and they are your absolute gurus and they're you know super super friendly and always super helpful I think some of the hardest things that I've had to do is transforming the way that the business see you so some teams just do not want to know mm. and I get it you've been in a role for years you know there's a new team to the business and they're kind of saying to you let me tell you how to do your job let me tell you what decisions you should be making mm. and it's very much obviously I'm not I'm never going to go to somebody and say that yeah it's very much the way you phrase it but I think for some people as well it I think maths in particular maths is associated with data and okay I did maths at uni but you do not have to have done so many people in data have not done maths yeah as long as you can think logistically you know I think people think data they think maths and they think I hate maths I don't want to do it mm. and it, it's kind of t talking to people and being like but actually you can like not being like I've done the hard work for you but like all mm. the difficult transforming and the horrible super number crunchy bit is done look I've made you this pretty chart and I've labeled the numbers and we can talk through yeah. it together to understand it but sometimes there's a lot of resistance mm. I think it's a lot of businesses now especially when I'm looking at job specs say you know we want to use data to become a data-driven company but a lot of people don't want that and people you know it's natural you go off your gut instinct and sometimes you still do or sometimes it's a combination of the two yeah. but it's really hard if somebody's asked you to do a piece of work and they're expecting the results to be one thing that backs up an initiative that they want to do mm. and you have to be the bearer of bad news and say actually it looks like you shouldn't do that yeah that, you know it's difficult so I think it's very difficult around the attitudes in data sometimes but I completely get it from both mm. sides you know to overcome that a lot of it is oh we worked with this team and we showed them this and then we did this off the back of it and look it was mm. great and they did yeah. this and people like that a lot more building the trust 
yeah exactly and then I've got two more questions so the first one would be what do you want or what do you think that the future holds for you and that could be the next six months that could be five years it could be you know if you want 40 years to now it's up to you to choose <laughs> what the future is for you <laughs> I think and a lot of this has come from being in the role I've just started and so we're a small team at the moment and one of the guys who was my buddy he is amazing he's been in the business for a while mm. he knows everything there is to know about how the company operates and what the data means but he's super new to analytics and data and writing code. So actually there's a nice balance of both of us asking each other's questions. Mm. But I've always thought of myself as not a very technical analyst, but actually when I'm working with him, I'm like, oh, I know the answers. Like I'm actually quite good. I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the first time in what, almost five years since I've, you know, been doing data roles mm. that I felt like I'm good at this and this is what I want to carry on doing. Like, what a great I know. <laughs> I know, finally, it's only taken me five years of doing it. Um, but, you know, even this week, I feel like I'm adding value and I'm doing a good job and people trust me. I'm kind of saying to them, oh, can you check it? And they're like, oh, yeah, I looked over it like it all looked fine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it wasn't real with mistakes. So, I definitely still want to be in data. Mm -hmm. um, I think I want to carry on doing what I'm doing. I think kind of when you're at this level, which I would say I'm kind of like mid-level, mm -hmm. um, it, it tends to be you either get super, super technical and specialized or you go down the management route. Right, okay. And I've always struggled with knowing which of those I've wanted to do and thought technical probably isn't for me I now think more so it could be mm. but when I think about you know you asked me about the best parts and I say it, it's the whole process if I had to nail down a part of that process it's kind of the second half of it it's not the sitting and writing the code like yeah it's super satisfying but I prefer the, the speaking to people mm. and you know, understanding what it means yeah but you know I've I've never like officially managed anybody. I've kind of been mentors and I've coached people and I tutored maths when I was at college and when I was at university. And it, it makes me think maybe, maybe I'll go down the management route. I, I kind of start to feel like I could do it. I think I'm leaning more towards management, but- It's a shame you can't I do think, both. Maybe you could curate yeah. a hybrid role. Yeah, I think, you know, it's tricky because I'm not, I think in terms of time, it perhaps wouldn't work. I think you can have people, you know, who would be like a principal analyst and maybe manage one person or maybe right. two. Mm -hmm. But I think anymore, and it's then you're the subject matter expert, you're going to be asked questions and you need to do a lot of intense coding, but you've got yeah. people asking you questions and you need to sort out, you mm -hmm. know, all the admin stuff. Um, but I, I think... Interesting. Yeah, very, you can tell I don't really know, but I'm mm -hmm. more open to... I'll still be doing this not I want to do something wildly different which yeah. is the first time I think I would say ever that I felt like this so it's quite a nice feeling that's great that's so exciting for your future whatever that may be so for my final question today is if someone was maybe to aspire to being in data or wanted to get into data or do something maybe similar to your career trajectory and what you have done over the past years what advice would you give them mm. 
Well, if that person was me and they were similar to me, it would be don't beat yourself up when you get it wrong. Um, I think with the technical stuff, you know, I alluded to earlier, there are so many different ways to do everything. Mm. Um, and when you go to a new company, they, you know, the, the language is ever so slightly different when you're writing your code. And it's so easy to get really bogged down and be like, I'm so rubbish. I can't do this. Yeah. And it's, I think the main kind of advice would be ask other people for help because they've probably come up with the same they probably come with like with the same problem themselves mm. and I think my problem has always been I don't want to ask people because they'll think I'm stupid and that I shouldn't have got the job which nobody thinks like that because no. that's horrible I, I think I, I would say I just agree with you completely like if I was giving you like advice I mean I feel like I have said this as advice <laughs> to you over the years <laughs> like no that's not true you're doing amazing like don't beat yourself up definitely it's, mm. it's good and I think I was listening the other day to a podcast actually because I always listen to podcasts and <laughs> um, they were talking about the difference between I think it may have been also in an article which I read before the podcast but it was talking about imposter syndrome and people talk about imposter syndrome and this article is essentially saying no it's not that it's just doubt and people have a lot of self-doubt a lot of the time and yes there are there are people with imposter syndrome of course but that doesn't mean that everyone has it and what you're feeling might just be doubt um which I thought was an interesting view and one that I haven't really heard much of recently yeah um and I mean imposter syndrome everyone knows what it is everyone talks about it but doubt is you know it's like the original um (laughs) and everyone has doubts no matter what facet of life it is exactly Um, I think I like I found it because I've worked in like data and quite technical teams I am the least techie tech person you'd ever meet honestly no in one of my roles I was given a mac and I was like I I don't know what I'm doing with this I need like Windows 98 Katie, thank you so much for being part of Help, I'm in my 20s. It's been a pleasure and I've loved hearing all of your stories. Thank you. I'm sorry, I spoke quite a lot, didn't I? No, it's amazing. I loved it. <laughs> I'm into full-on interview mode. No, I've had a great time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you so much, Katie Din. We covered so much in her career stories from university courses to graduate recruitment, coding, self-doubt and stakeholder management. I hope you took away as much as I did from her experiences and how she made decisions along the way, as well as a better understanding of what data analysts do. And as Katie said, it's so important to hear more from amazing women in data and hopefully to encourage more women to take that step into analysis and the world of data. I also loved that Katie lived by the same mantra as one of my other guests too. Regret the things you have done rather than the things that you didn't do. What a great note to end on. If you like this episode, please subscribe to hear more and like and comment, maybe even share it with your network. That would be extremely appreciated. If you'd like to get in touch, or be a guest in my next series, please email help.twenties.podcast at gmail.com.
I'm Georgie and thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Help, I'm in my 20s. See you next time.